0: My name is Joe Novenson, and I have had the privilege of being on the pastoral team that has served Will Cody when he was a younger man. So to be invited here now is a high and holy privilege. I bring you greetings from Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, where Will once attended. And I say thank you to you, Will, for letting me be here, to the elders of this church, and to the presbytery for allowing me to be a part of this. Because of our time together, I'm going to speak to you from only one verse. And I want to be as clear as I can while being as expeditious as I can. Before I even read the verse, and I'm going to guess, would we be behind me? There it is. I want you to know something about what you're looking at. That verse was written 150 years before India even had its caste system. That verse was written 200 years before the first Olympics. That verse was written two centuries before Buddha or Confucius breathed air on the earth. That verse was written four centuries before Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. The Parthenon hadn't been built. It was 1,500 years before Mohammed. And Solomon wrote, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who captures or, or wins souls is wise. I'm going to make just three points after I pray. To Will Cody, you must not forget who you are. You have a much more remarkable and stunning identity than you think you do. It has a much more miraculous cause than you may think it does. And it produces stunning behavior. But it's not only of will. It's true of every one of you who are believers in Jesus Christ. Your identity, its cause, and your behavior are likely far more stunning than you've ever realized. And you must not forget. Let's pray and we'll dig in. In minutes now, Lord, we ask you would do much. That you would write eternal truth upon our hearts and minds, but especially upon wills. Come, speak, Lord. Help every one of your servants listen. In Jesus' name, Amen. His name is Albert McMakin. He came into an introduction class in the church I served before serving at Lookout Mountain Press. He was in his 70s when he arrived and he sat down in the back of the class and as my custom, I asked everyone in the class to begin to introduce themselves with some unique tale about them. And he said, I'm the fuller Brushman who took Dr. Billy Graham to the crusade where he was led to Christ. Inside, I'm thinking, no, you're not. (laughs) And when the class was over, I went straight to his daughter and his granddaughter and said, your father, your friend. They went, yeah, he is. I was about to become the pastor of a man who is arguably one of the most significant tools God has ever used in church history. The impact this man had on my life is difficult for me to measure, but to move to my point, he began to suffer with dementia. And I remember visiting him the day that he forgot who I was. But what was worse, he forgot who his family was. And forgive me, this is selfish, but it's true. What was the most heartbreaking was when he forgot who he was. Because then he was in the room But he wasn't in the room. And the church I served and this pastor and frankly the Church of Christ was the poor because he would soon be in heaven. Why do I say that? I'd like to suggest to you that what Solomon just said is that you, Will Cody, and all of you who are Christians have an even more stunning identity. Listen carefully to what the scripture says, lest you forget who you are, or maybe you've never realized. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Listen, he's playing with words. The fruit is the tree. The fruit's not an apple, not a pomegranate, it's not a bushel of fruit, it's not a cartload, it's not the whole harvest. The fruit is the tree, and the tree to end all trees. Or the tree to begin all trees. This is the tree in downtown Eden. This is the one of which Moses wrote in the middle of the garden, where the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree that, if ingested pre-fall, do you understand that beauty that would have been so breathtaking, love that would have been so profound, joy that would have been so deep. Nobility that would have been so robust, so rich, would have never ended. That's the tree of life. And he just said, there happen to be some people who are actually worthy to be compared to the tree of life. This is incredible. Oh, We tend to think, oh yeah, I I understand, downtown Eden. No, no, we don't. Because you see, you can't imagine perfection because you've never been near it. That's why when the Bible speaks about the restoration of the new heaven and the new earth, it breaks into poetry and says things like this. In Isaiah 55, 12, mountains will break into song and trees will clap their hands. Isaiah 11, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf with the lion, the yearling together. Little child will lead them and an infant will play near the hole of a cobra. I don't fully know what all of that means, except, I'll tell you this, outside these doors and windows, what you're looking at is nothing compared to what's coming. What does trees clapping mean? Or mountains singing? At least this. What is yet to come and what was then was breathtaking. And he just said, there are beings who can be compared to the tree of life. But it gets more stunning. If you go to after sin hit, the scripture reads, Genesis 3.23, so the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, and after he drove the men out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim, plural for angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, some scholars think, since it's plural angels, that every one of them had a sword Others, since the sword is single, say that it took multiple angels to hold up the sword. Whichever it means, at least Moses is saying this, you couldn't get near that tree without going toe to toe with Gabriel, Michael, and a legion of angels. So is Solomon saying in Proverbs 11, if you can get near one of these beings who reflect the tree of life, you can reach the unreachable You can touch the otherwise untouchable, hear the otherwise unhearable. You can be where you could no other way be. In fact, you'd have to face angel war to get near to that kind of being. Oh, my stars. What a stunning identity. But it gets even more remarkable. Remarkable. When you go to the end of the Bible, there, it states this remarkable thing that at the end, the curse would stop. Listen, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Now, granted, Solomon didn't write that verse. And this came written after him. But the one who moved Solomon to write that verse knew this. And is he now saying, if you can get near one of these beings who reflect the tree of life, the curse reverses. That just the leaves, may I push it, a conversation with will just a little time with a Christian. And it's as if the death that took all kinds of proportionate impact would begin to be quieted. You understand, don't you, that when the fall hit, it wasn't just physical death. It was social death, familial death, identity death, relational death. Death went in every single direction. And that these beings who have this identity could actually bring this kind of good. That's stunning. But what's the cause? I can't do that, are you kidding? I wake up at 2 a.m. and eat Doritos and drink RC Cola. That's, you know, this is not possible. What are you kidding? What's the cause of this? Listen, the fruit of the righteous. All right, so this thing called righteous is gonna be the fruit which causes the tree of life. Well, what is righteous or righteousness? Now, let's be careful. We can't import Paul here. This is Solomon probably writing. So what would he have understood as righteousness? Well, I can tell you explicitly without any fear of overstatement because you realize that as a king of Israel, every king was required to write a hand copy of the first five books of this Bible. You know that, didn't you? Listen to Deuteronomy 17, 18. When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life. So Solomon would have written these words, Deuteronomy six twenty four. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees so that we might always be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he commanded us, listen, That will be our righteousness. There it is. There's the definition. Let me slow it down. If we are careful, nobody does this by mistake. You won't wake up and go, I was righteous. Did you see that? (laughs) If we are careful to obey, not study, not talk about, not write books on and blog about, not debate over, obey. How much? All the law. Now listen, do you realize what that means? In the first five books, there's social law, military law, sexual law, economic law, medical law, familial law, ecological law, penal law, parental law, architectural law, horticultural law, political law, hygienic law, city planning law, spiritual law, educational law, geriatric law, judicial law, contractual law, restitutional law, dietary law, diplomatic law, I'm just warming up. Oh, the before the Lord our God. In other words, not in front of each other's. None of this. Well, at least I'm doing better than you are. Uh-uh. uh-uh. It's before him. As the Lord commanded us. So that means no box checking. If the motive doesn't match the behavior, you ain't obeyed. Now, listen, if you are cognizant with me, you have not fallen asleep, this is crushing. I mean, it's absolutely crushing. Solomon himself wrote later, Ecclesiastes 2.20, there is no one righteous who does only good on the earth. It goes on. David, his father, wrote Psalm 143.2, no one living is righteous. Well, so what is this? Preacher hyperbole? This is just a neat illustration? No. Because that's not all that Moses wrote that Solomon would have had to pen about righteousness. This also is there. Listen. Genesis 15:6. If you've been asleep, please get this. Will listen to me. Abram believed And God credited to him as righteousness. Wait a minute. Did Moses just write that if I trust, if I depend, if I believe in the reality of who God is, what God gives, what the reality of gospel kingdom givenness is, I'm credited faith. Please look up here. 1975, I crushed both my hands. This is what it's teaching. When I crushed both my hands in a sheet metal roller, I lost my thumb by gangrene. To rebuild my thumb, they cut a big U in my chest, lifted up the U, made it into a cone, and sewed my hand to my chest. They put my hand in my chest so that the health of the chest feed the sickness of my hand this is what Paul means when he says by faith you are in Christ that all of his spiritual reality all of his health all of his holiness all of his greatness credited to the gangrenous sin of us now here's what's stunning about this is the cause Will, I have good news. You don't have to be as good a preacher as Sinclair Ferguson. (laughs) This has nothing to do with gifts. It has everything to do with dependence. It's declaring your utter weakness. Other religions are elite. They're for the elite. Jesus says, I can make anybody a tree of life. Depend on him. And you could be a place where the curse is reversed. This brings so much hope. What a stunning cause. This is breathtaking. I've always thought I've got to think like John Piper and write like R.C. Sproul and be as courageous as Luther and preach like Whitfield. No. I've got to depend like a sinner upon a Jesus who is pleased to impute his righteousness to sinners. Then finally, not only do you have a stunning identity you mustn't forget, and a stunning cause. I ask you, will you depend? Will Will you break the illusion of your strength and start living out of the weakness of dependence on Jesus? Stunning cause. Finally, stunning behavior. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And then it says that the ones who are wise capture souls. What does that mean? I frankly would respectfully prefer the word win. I know why the ESV used capture, it's a military term. And you say to Westerners the word win, except in a church like this that has people who serve in the military. Most people think game it wasn't part of the Israeli culture. It's a military term. It meant you fight. So let me give you the Joe Novenson authorized translation. <laughs> the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And that person will fight for the souls of other people. And that." That's wise. Notice it says plural souls. They will finally be people on the earth who will look below the skin of others and realize that humans have a dimension to them deeper than their DNA. And they will go to war. They'll pay the price to fight for and seek to win for the well-being of believing and unbelieving alike. They'll take enemy fire. They'll take friendly fire. And dare I say it, if you become a normal Christian, you will. You will take friendly fire. Because you'll make other Christians nervous. As life begins to emanate from you. I'm at 15 minutes, so I have to close. I tell you this true story. This comes from one of my favorite little books. You can get it in Amazon. It's called Small Miracles, published in 1997. It was so popular that the four authors, or three authors, had published it. Then had to publish volume two, volume three, volume four. They're all the children of Holocaust survivors. And they all talk about providence, but as far as I know, they don't realize that's what they're talking about. The stories will take your breath away. Here's the one that I tell you, and I hope it will pull it all together. Remember, this is true. This is not preacher hyperbole. A 50 plus year old worker is going home in the winter. He walks this path day in, day out, the sun is set. It's cold. He's making his way through a park, as he always does, carrying his lunch pail. It's time to go home. Well, he's making his way through the park in the complete dark, he hears to his right in a bush the sound muffled of a woman being accosted. He can hear her. And he stops. And all this, he says, happened in seconds, but I slow it down. And he thought, i, I got to help her. I can't help her. Look at me. I'm four over 50. I'm out of shape. I'll die. She'll die. I got to go get help. I go get help. She could die before I get back. I got to help her. He parts the bushes, and there is a man on top of a woman. He jumps on the back of the man. As far as the woman's concerned, since they're all in the dark, she thinks it's another attacker. But the man who is doing the attacking is terrified, throws the guy off his back, and runs into the darkness. The woman's now got nobody on top of her and starts backing away, screaming, saying, get away from me, get away from me. And the factory worker said, lady, lady, it's all right. You're okay. You're all right. I'm not going to hurt you. I came to help you. And these are her next words. Daddy? Is that you? He had just saved his daughter from being accosted. Here's why I told you that. When you become realizing that this is the kind of person you are, tree of life, it'll make you jump into the bush. You'll go where other people won't go. You'll stop measuring by whether or not you're able, but whether or not he is. And you may actually hear words not unlike hers. Listen to me. Father, is this you? And you'll be able, Will Cody, to tell students and you Christians. can tell others. You bet it is. It ain't me. He's helped to make me a tree of life. Let's pray. Do this, Father, for your servant will. Help him not forget who he is. Help none of us. Oh, God, help us jump in the bush. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good evening. My name is Ben Griffith, I'm one of the pastors at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee and I'm also one of the chairman of the Nashville uh, Campus Ministry, uh, c- campus ministry uh, Committees. So I'm one of the chairmen on that and, and I just love getting to follow up Joe Novinson. <laughs> Uh, But it's an an honor to be here, a treat uh, to get to participate in this service with you and with Will. Um, I am one of the members of, like like I said, our Nashville uh, RUF committee. There's about about 12 of us, only two of us could make it uh, tonight, but we have been uh, commissioned uh, to represent the Presbytery, and I'm part of the commission here uh, to ordain Will Cody to gospel ministry. Um, This is a long road. That he's been on that some of you have walked with him Um, it's a long story Uh, it's a story that begins um, before he was even born it's a story uh, that continues when he when he heard the call of Jesus's grace for the first time and responded by faith it's a story that continues to that moment when he when he discerned in his heart God's call um, to ministry Uh, That story continues on to seminary. It continues on to discerning uh, a call towards RUF, and through the trials of the ordination process. And we do not we do not call we do not call it trials for nothing. Um, They are trials. Uh, Will has been put through it uh, because in our in our denomination in the PCA um, the standards are high, and and gospel ministers. Uh, do not step into this calling lightly and so the fact that we're here, Will, is a a testament to God's goodness and his faithfulness that he's written the story up to this point and is going to continue to write it Um, and so it's an honor and a treasure to be here. So, Will, I'd ask you I'd ask for you to join me uh, right up here. I have a few questions for you and then a few questions for our campus ministry committee Um, why don't you stand here, right here next to me, and you can just face the congregation? Um, these questions. Uh, w- what we have is we have eight questions. Uh, are they going to be printed up there? Perfect. The eight questions for Will, and then um, and then four questions for our campus ministry committee. Um, and these are weighty questions. Um, and, Will, I would just invite you to hear Joe's words ringing in, you e- in your ears as you hear the questions and you answer, I do. That don't you dare answer, I do, um, on your own strength, uh, but resting in Christ and his, and his goodness and the fact that he doesn't call you to answer these questions out of your own strength or ability, but resting in his goodness and his grace. And so... The questions for ordination. Before I say this, um, just a reminder this is how our Book of Church Order defines what ordination is. It says ordination is the authoritative admission of one who has been duly called to an office in the Church of God. An authoritative admission of one who has been duly called. And so these questions, uh, Will, are a part of uh, that calling. Um, So I'm going to ask you eight questions, and if you would, answer in, uh, with, I do. So Will, do you first of all believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the holy scriptures? And do you further promise that at any, that if at any time you find yourself out of accord, with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine that you will on your own initiative make known to your presbytery the change that, you, that has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. Do you? I do. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you? I do. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Do you? Have you been induced, as far as you know your own heart, to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his Son? Have you? I have. And do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? Do you? I do. Two more. Two more. We're almost there. Do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock of which God shall make you overseer? Do you? And lastly, are you now willing to take the charge as a campus minister of Reformed University Ministries at Austin P. University, agreeable to your declaration when accepting the call of Nashville Presbytery, and do you, relying upon God for strength, promise to discharge it, or to it, the duties of a pastor? Do you? I do. Amen. Jim Smith, I'd invite you to come up here and to stand and... We're just going to lean into the awkwardness here. As a part of the committee, I'm going to be answering the questions that I'm posing to us. And so um, we're just going to lean into that. Uh, Four questions for the campus ministry committee. Our our committee um, uh, knows that that we are here tonight and that we're answering on on their behalf and that they uh, make these vows with us. Um, So, these questions addressed to the Nashville Presbytery uh, Committee of RUF. Do you, the Campus Ministry Committee of Nashville Presbytery, continue to profess your readiness to receive Will Cody, whom you have called to be Campus Minister of Austin P. State University? Do we? We do. (laughs) Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love? and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do we? We do. Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do we? We do. And lastly, do you engage to continue to him uh, while he is campus minister at Austin P State University that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him With whatever you see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you. Do we? We do. Amen um, Now gonna hand it over to Jim Smith
2: yep. Thank you. Um, For the laying on, on of hands and prayer for will um, would any Teaching Elder, Ruling Elder in the PCA, come up here with us, would you? Well, what if you maybe right there? That's you. You want to kneel? pointing people out. Okay, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, it is with so much thankfulness and joy that we come before you to commend our brother Will Cody to you as a ministry of the gospel in Christ here in Clarksville and specifically at Austin P University. Lord, thank you so much for Equipping Will over all those years of um, really hard work. Thank you for calling him to this work. Uh, And thank you for, um, in your providence, for placing him here in Clarksville at Austin P to serve in his weakness but in the strength of christ lord use him in a mighty way we pray and jung me who um, is by his side and will be by his side and serving along with him in the area of hospitality and and in all kinds of ways but lord use will Um, in a mighty way in the lives of these students father uh, may he always (coughs) um, proclaim the gospel of christ to them lord would you would you be pleased to uh, provide fruit from his ministry in the lives of these men and women uh, at austin p Father, we, um, we give you thanks for what you're going to do, and we ask that you work through will and draw these men and women to yourself. And Father, we, um, we commit him to you now for your mighty purposes. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen may stand up. <clears throat> and we would like to offer you the right hand of gospel fellowship, my Before you go, we have one more thing here. So now I pronounce and declare that Will Cody has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as campus minister of Austin P University, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, he is entitled to all support Encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
3: Uh, you can sit right there. I'll be here for a couple minutes. <laughs> so this is fun because I get to preach a sh- little short sermon. It's only in a, it's about 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> just to Will, and y'all get to watch. So uh, get your iPhones out, figure out how you're going to spend your time. We're going to have a little moment here in front of y'all. Um, no, it's my job to give the charge to Will, and... Um, I want to read from Matthew 11, uh, where Jesus says some simple words that are maybe familiar to a lot of us. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. I had not introduce myself. My name is Britton Wood. I'm the area coordinator for REF in Alabama and Tennessee, which means it's my job to make sure that Will and Jungmi have health insurance. Um, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. Um, But what's unique about this moment, too, is that Will and I reconnected really about a year and a half ago. Um, We had been together with RUF at Tennessee 20 years ago Um, when I was the intern, and he was a student there, and we were growing, and the Lord was at work in our lives, and then in God's good providence, we now get to work together in RUF and connect 18 years after that. So this is a sweet moment. Uh, So this is Matthew 11. Here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will, your charge is to take up Jesus' yoke. Uh, when we read these verses, we usually like the sweet moments. We're like, oh, yes, the rest. That sounds awesome. And we forget Jesus has given his followers work to do here. And to understand these words, we have to see that in Jesus's, that Jesus is inviting us to take up his yoke. He says, learn from me about the burdens that I bear, and come and bear them with me. And part of what he's telling us is that rest is not about inactivity. Rest is about finding purpose. So it's not a, this, these verses are not an invitation to stop working. It's an invitation to work for different reasons. And this new kind of work will feel very different because you can do any work, including the work of ministry, out of fear. Fear of failure before watching audience, fear of insignificance, fear of going unnoticed, fear of being uh, exposed or embarrassed or losing power. In other words, you can work, even in ministry, and work really hard, but the internal psychological and spiritual math is all about, is the self, am I going to be okay, and do they acknowledge me, and do I have power? And if... If you live and work under that constant anxious calculation, you'll produce a ministry of anxiety and pragmatism. You'll be anxious because your work is always going to feel like performance. Your people and your family are going to be anxious because you've shown them a leader who's not carried along by self-giving love, but a leader whose hope is their ability to control outcomes, and that cannot be your hope. You'll be pragmatic, but in a worldly way, you'll unwittingly think that produce, to produce the results of ministry you want to see, what you need is more money, and more power, and more charm, and more competence, and a gathering of people of influence. You'll be anxious and lonely, and you won't even notice it. And suffering is, will be the great threat that you try to avoid. You'll try to minimize risk of personal suffering, and that'll be the thing that you aim for. And so the never-ending chore of trying to minimize fear, that'll be a weight that's too heavy and it grinds down your humanity over time. This is the yoke that Jesus offers you instead. It's still work. You'll still be performing the same actions outwardly. You'll be preaching and teaching and counseling and comforting and hospitality and leading. The work is the same, but who you are is a different person because he calls you to the work of love. And this is the thing about the work of love is it's very hard to feel like you're doing the work of love because when you're in the midst of the work of love, you've forgotten about yourself because you're fixated on those you serve. And that's the freedom and the lightness of the labor. That's what easy and light means. Easy and light doesn't refer to there's not going to be any objective cost. In fact, the the work will be very costly. In fact, if you take upon the yoke of Jesus, the work that he calls you to will cost you more but it will feel lighter because love makes the sacrifice feel like it's worth it love makes suffering feel like it's worth it so the yoke that he gives you is the yoke of love and Jesus shows us that the work of loving a broken world what it costs because to love someone who's lonely you have to go into their loneliness to love someone who has no money your wealth has to become theirs to love the outsider means you have to love you have to go to the outside To love the sick means you have to go into their illness. So the brokenness is always getting on you, just like I got on Jesus. And to love with gospel grace means that you do these things freely to the least likely and to the undeserving. So you can't preach and minister for approval and acclamation. And if you did that, you could provide a lot of comfort for yourself in this life if you preached for approval and acclamation. If you did it well, you could leverage your ministry into a comfortable life, but in seeking your own life, through, even through ministry, you'll lose it. But loving and grace costs everything, and it will be a burden so light because in losing your life, you'll become a whole person and a full person, and you'll actually gain your life. And here's the good news about this. This weighty but light charge is Jesus always says, come to me before he says, go for me. So don't wake up tomorrow and say, Will, you've got this today. Wake up tomorrow and say, Will, for the joy of having you, Jesus went to the cross. It's his love for you that led him to the cross. And as you go into campus and as you go into your family and as you go into the church and then you go into the brokenness of our lives, love begets love. So you have to come first and rest in his love and revel in his love in order to go out and bear the costly but light joy of this kind of love. Let me pray. Lord, may we'll never know a day in which the cross of Jesus does not sit at the center of his heart and imagination. May your gracious love for him steady him, ground him, galvanize him, galvanize young me for the yoke for which they are to bear. Free him from the heavy burden of self-absorption, free him to the, to the delightful task of embodying your love into the world around him. May he find delight in the light and momentary affliction of the sacrifice of ministry, though the cost is high, the joy is higher. In your name we pray, amen. We're giving a charge to the men that are called to care for Will and Jung Me in a unique way, so we're going to wing it. I mean it. We don't have anything up here right now. Here's what I know. I've been in ordained ministry now for 14 years. There are men in here that have been it much longer. Um, This is it, guys. We have to seek the purity and the unity of the church. And we have to seek uh, to treat each other with charity. Actually, one of the things that I do often do in this job is I get the phone calls. I don't know if y'all know this. People like to sometimes complain about ministers and ministries and churches. And um, I'm the guy in RUF. We have 10 guys that get those phone calls, and I'm one of those 10 guys. There's 10 other area coordinators. Um, guys, y'all have to stand up for Will and the, the other campus ministers in our area. And, um, and you have to move toward him with the charity that Jesus moved toward y'all with. Because here's what's going to happen, because it's happened in every, I oversee 18 RUFs, and it's happened in almost every one of them, and I've only been in this job for two years. Is a freshman is upset about something Will said in freshman Bible study, and is confused. And the freshman calls his mom, and is like, Mom, Will said something, I don't understand it, it doesn't seem like it's in the Bible. And then the mom calls the pastor, and the pastor, and says, I don't know what's happening at RUF at Austin P." And then the pastor calls me or calls y'all and says, what's going on with Will Cody at Austin P?" And every pastor in this room has their own story. That's what it looks like in REF of the way it comes. So here's my charge to y'all. Move toward one another and move towards Will and charity. Remember tonight, because tonight we didn't recognize, we recognized the little bit of work that Will did. But the main thing we did is we recognized the work that God has done to ordain and install him as the campus minister at Austin Pete. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the men that you've given to care for one another in ministry, that you've actually provided us a brotherhood so that we can not just survive, but even flourish. I pray that we would love you and love one another the way you've loved us. In your name we pray, amen.
4: I'm here with my wife, Jessica. Uh, we met Will and Jungmi almost 10 years ago now in Seoul, Korea, and we're really glad to be here with you. Will you join me in prayer, please? Father, Lord, you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. We come to you with joy because we can rest in your gracious and everlasting love. You are and will always be faithful to your word and your promises. Thank you for our brother Will and his desire and calling to serve you as a minister of your word. We ask that you continue to bless, strengthen, and sustain Will, Jungmi, John, Mia, and Louise too. Thank you for the salt and light that they are to us and to the students at Austin Peay University. Bless their ministry there. As we prepare to leave and head into another week, Let us not find our identity in our achievements, our success or failure, our piety or anything other than in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Word become flesh. Let us rest in your Word and your law. It is perfect, it is sure, it is right, it enlightens and it brings us joy. Father, let all that we do be to your glory. Let the words of our mouths The meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We lift these prayers to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Raise your eyes and raise your hands and receive this benediction
1: from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.